Welcome to Two Guys with Glasses. I'm Phil Taylor. And I'm Clayton Gibb. And this is a podcast all about the good life. So what's up, guys? Today we're going to be talking a little bit about um, something that can be a little confusing uh, for me and a lot of other people, but it's pretty simple. Uh, emotional health. So that's, that's what we're going to get into eventually. Um, but first, before we get into that, we're just going to we're just going to chat a little bit, you and me, huh? Yeah, it sounds like a good idea. Because um, today, which I don't know when, when people will be listening to this, but this particular day, we're recording on a Wednesday, uh, we've reached some record lows uh, temperature-wise outside. Yeah, I, I read somewhere that it's colder in the Midwest than it is Antarctica. I, I, I saw something on Twitter that a guy, he, uh, he took a screen cap. Uh, I can't remember where he was. It was like negative 15 wherever he was, and it was negative 15 in Antarctica, yeah. which is... Uh, we we got it pretty brutal. It's it, I mean it's absolutely freezing cold outside, and it was cold enough that university, which I feel like EKU rarely ever shuts down unless there's like pretty serious, and that they called it off yesterday, um, it just because of the cold. They didn't even know it was gonna snow, and it did snow a little bit, but I mean it's been it's been freezing these past couple of days. I, I'm I'm glad they called it off because I got to sleep in a little bit. Yeah, uh, and that was what was shocking to me is because my wife works at a private school and they only cancel school if the university cancels school and last night she was like hey i just got a text message there's no school tomorrow and so so bria canceled school too uh yeah well they're connected with eku oh are they yeah yeah so well they're not connected with eku they're what's what's the word i'm trying to say i don't know what are you trying to say their snow day policy is to follow eku okay yeah well and i even (laughs) So the, the the way I found out was I was actually so I lead a, this uh, this community group uh, for freshman guys where we just kind of you know talk have a good time and do a Bible study, um, and then one of the guys stands up on the table last night and he says guys I've got some news and the, the President Benson had tweeted it out and he's like we have no school tomorrow, and then I went down into the replies and I saw that someone had like tweeted at him earlier. And they said, hey, President Benson, uh, UK has canceled school already tomorrow. <laughs> and so I think President Benson was like, huh, uh, if UK has done it, then we best do it too. <laughs> That's funny because I, I feel like he has a reputation for not wanting to cancel school. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, well, actually, I think he's been more, because I remember like growing up going to like Madison Central and like you know, Madison County schools, like UKU would never cancel. But I feel like he's gotten more lenient. I mean, he's only been president for, I don't know, five years now. Yeah, yeah, but. that's true. I think when I went there, I can I can never remember <clears throat> officially school canceled. I remember professors saying, uh-huh. it's crazy to get out in this weather. We're not going to have class. Yeah. Or we got a couple of two-hour delays. But I don't ever remember school being canceled back then. But, of course, when I went to university, we would walk five miles <laughs> Uphill, up a hill ways. and 30 feet of snow. Old man, yeah, 30, <laughs> <laughs> Richmond, Kentucky. Man, when we get two inches of snow, the city shuts down. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of the uh, the old SNL skit, uh, Buford Calloway. Did you, did you ever see that one? No. Uh, so, what was it? several years ago when they had that, like, two inches of snow in Georgia and it shut the interstate down and the cars were pulled over. Uh-huh. They had, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he comes out and he does this, like, southern gentleman <laughs> talking about the, the tragedy of being trapped on the interstate. 
And he's got all these funny words for snow, like, the devil's dandruff falling from the sky. It's quite, quite funny. But uh, on a more serious note, did you see the governor's response to schools being closed today? I was just pulling that up, yeah. Yeah, it's Um, crazy, right? I saw this, so I guess he called, okay, so I saw this initial tweet by Matt Jones, who I guess is a... He's a radio person. He, yeah, he also has a show on radio some person. local news station. I, I don't really know, hey, Kentucky or something like that. Something like that, sure. Yeah. Uh, but apparently Matt Bevan said, uh, now we cancel school for cold. Come on now. And he says, uh, he asked what is happening in America, then adds, we're getting soft. So And it's and then so Matt Jones, he quoted this tweet and said, uh, Matt Bevan says Kentuckians are soft because schools are being canceled for record colds tomorrow morning. I guess it will not be his children that would have to stand outside and wait for a school bus in the weather, which is... Yeah, very true. Because uh, I mean, it, I think it was with wind chills, it was getting to like the negative temps, and you know, in Kentucky, no one's prepared for cold. Uh, whether it's just people are, are stubborn or people like literally just can't afford a coat. Like there's, I mean, and, and this goes for like universities. One thing, I'm I'm still a little surprised we canceled. But then when you're when you're thinking about kids who like literally just have to wait outside for the yeah. bus to come in the morning, 15, 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, and especially yeah. when it's a little kid, and those kids like the most they have is like a hoodie. Like you don't want them standing out in the cold. And here in Bevin, like I, I feel like he's just. Yeah. I, I honestly I don't know a whole ton about <laughs> Bevin, uh, or our state's politics to be honest. But like yeah. that just seems like so out of touch. Like yeah. Like I mean, it. it <laughs> why would you? I don't know. So just like, why can't these five-year-olds take it? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Soft. Yeah. He, he later tried to clarify and say that he was just being facetious. Um, but (laughs) I think he's already made enough enemies with the school system. He doesn't. Yeah. yeah, No one in the school system likes Matt Bevan. Yeah. That's for sure. But I think that brings up, uh, it kind of touches on another topic though. Like, are we becoming soft? Like, we joked earlier about, you know, old man Phil walking 30 miles up a hill yeah. in 30 feet of snow. Well, you're not, you're not that old. Yeah, I, I, I know. <laughs> um, but, but have we become soft as a society? Like, granted, that probably wasn't the best thing he said, but is he hinting at some deeper truth that we've become soft as a society? I'd say it's, it's more difficult for me. Well, I mean, I, I think obviously any any older person is probably just going to be like, well, yeah. Cause, yeah. Um, but I think it's it's really easy for um, people who are not a part of our generation. Because, like, I feel like this generation, like, the, in the past 60 years, more so than any other, like, particularly 60 years out of history, yeah. has undergone, like, the most change, you know, mm-hmm. if you think about it. Um, so are we are we getting soft? I don't know. I can only speak from my experience, I guess, but yeah. I think a lot of old people like to think that yeah. everyone's softer than they were, but then at the same time, they weren't dealing with the same things we are now. Yeah, and yeah. And, and I wonder, too, if, if that perceived softness comes from the fact that you and I have the ability to have a podcast that's listened to by any number of people. Yeah. Where 60 years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that was reserved for an elite group of people whose profession was to broadcast yeah. something. So we can express our opinions and we get, is there, we kind of develop as a culture where everybody has the ability to broadcast their opinions to the world. Yeah. Where 60 years ago, nobody really honestly cared about your opinions and there was a yeah, handful just, of people you could express them to. You just got out there and farmed. Yeah. So I don't know, but I, I did kind of think about that. That 
It seemed like a dumb thing to say, I'll be honest, but then on a certain level I thought, but is he hinting at, at an uncomfortable truth? Have we become soft? And I don't, I don't have an answer for that yet. I don't, I don't know if we have or not, and I don't know if, if we'll ever be able to know until we're 20 years past this time. I mean, this is, it's just all a matter of perspective, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, if you think about it, because I think a lot of, um, like a, like an older gen, like my parents' generation and grandparents, like yeah. all of their gripes and groans about yeah. younger people come yeah. from the access to technology, I think. Yeah. And like technology kind of enables this perceived softness, like, um, which in, we'll, we'll kind of talk about it today because I feel like a lot of older people don't deal well with certain, uh, well, I don't want to make broad sweeping, <laughs> broad sweeping accusations. <laughs> but I, I mean, I think there, there is this, this kind of like generalization that like, um, kind of like typical American men is to be like, just kind of stubborn and to like never yeah. deal with anything. Yeah. Which and then like, there's obviously like two, like, like every issue in the yeah. entire world and everything. And there's like two sides of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, so are we getting softer? Maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but is it a bad thing? Are, and, and I mean, because we can, can kind of, yeah. like, maybe technology affords. It, yeah. And, like, yeah. Th this is slightly unrelated, but, um, you know, it's, like you said, is, is it a bad thing to think now we can afford to be, like, we don't have to deal with, like, the hardships of mm -hmm. back then. There's, I mean, we obviously yeah. still have issues, but they're different. Like, we, we, we've moved on from, like, maybe, like, there's a large like lower class who'd like an industrial New York or something yeah. like living 17 people yeah. not knowing if you know like that's way different than the typical I don't know middle class experience of an American today yeah yeah well <clears throat> so like I'll use my grandfather as an example his father was a sharecropper in Ohio right yeah I don't know I don't know how to relate to that at all yeah but he he grew up with a very hard very rough life and in my own life, I can remember a specific time working in his, his shop in his garage, and he slips and he cuts his finger down to the bone. Like, you can see the mm. bone. And he just reaches over <laughs> and grabs his oily rag and uh. wraps around it. And I'm like, Granddad, are we going to the hospital? And he's like, for what? I'm like, I, your bone. And he's like, nah, it, it'll heal up. And you're, So I think perhaps that toughness was just a product of his childhood. Like, there was no time to go to the doctor we have to go work kind yeah. of a thing now, now you're your exactly. dad walks around handing people candy all the time. exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> he, he became soft in his old age but i just wonder if that has to you know I, if i cut myself to the bone i'd be like i probably should go to the doctor yeah. it just had to do with the fact that we've had easier lives and it, is that is that bad that i didn't grow up in a family of 16 children on a share crop farm. Yeah. You know? And this is, I don't want to get too far off topic but from, we, we do have to get to emotional health <laughs> yeah. eventually, but uh, something I've been, I've been thinking about uh, is like this idea of privilege, which kind of like runs along the same vein is like, so like I grew up and my parents, well, like I'm a straight white guy. So mm -hmm. I guess you could argue that I have all the privilege in many ways. Yeah. Um, I have both my parents in my life. They both love and care for me. They both are very involved in my life. Um, they're supporting me quite significantly financially throughout college. Um, and like in a, in a certain way, I'm like, like at the top tier of like what socially is perceived as privilege. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of like this negative connotation towards people with privilege, especially when like, you know, I spend a lot of time on Twitter and I, I see people who are just like, we're just saying that because you're privileged and you don't understand. But like, I think 
ideally, like, privilege shouldn't be a bad thing. Like, I mean, it's good that both of my parents are loving and together yeah. and involved in my life and yeah. wanting to support me so that I don't, I don't have to worry about making money and yeah. and worry about, like, whether or not I can feed myself. Like, that that should be, like, ideal for most people. Like, that should yeah. be what we were, like, moving towards. I think I think the, the discretion comes from, like... Um, understanding that I have this like but other people don't yeah I, th- I think that's where it's, it's, it's important because um, instead of getting mad at people like instead of me just going around like why can't you do this um, why you know it's just college is easy because yeah. I mean it is easier for me because I don't have to work two jobs to put myself through college which is yeah, a blessing exactly um, and but instead of like people just being like mad at people who have what they don't or people not being understanding it's just like I, the ideal place should be we shouldn't have to call it privilege anymore because it's just understood. But like you know, that's obviously mm-hmm. we can yeah. <laughs> pull down you know different <laughs> reins of economic and social and different yeah. problems we have. But yeah, I, I think it's a complex issue, and there's no we we want to fit it into cut and dry categories. Yeah, and you just can't. It society is complex, and there's all different ways in which this person has an advantage that this person doesn't have and, mm-hmm. and this affects this and that affects that. And yeah, ideally, all of us would start on a level playing field. We'd start at the same spot in the blocks. But it, it just doesn't work out that way. And I think that that part <clears throat> that actually ties into emotional health is to, to be able to see the world around you and understand it in an appropriate way and then do your part to help. Like, yeah. you might not be able to affect the lives of every person who doesn't have the same privileges as you. But perhaps there's things you can do over the course of your life that make a difference in mm-hmm. five lives, ten lives, a hundred lives. Whatever it is, you do your part yeah. so that someone else at some point can have all of your privilege, more of your privilege, part of your privilege. Yeah. I think that's a, a healthy goal to aim for Yeah. as opposed to making big, broad, sweeping generalizations and accusations because you didn't have any control in where you were born or who you were born to. No. So you can't yeah. be faulted for that. Yeah, it's not my, it's not right. my fault. <laughs> but what you can be faulted for is what you do with your yeah, privilege. exactly. And that's what we should be judging is what yeah. are we doing with the advantages and disadvantages in society yeah. that we can make an impact in. So that said, why don't we uh, transition into our topic for today mm. of emotional health. Yeah, so... What, what is emotional health, Phil? Emotional health. I think that's a really good question because emotional health, I think, is oftentimes confused with mental health. And yeah. those are really two different issues. Emotional health is how we respond or react to the world around us. And this really differs from mental health, which is related to how our brains function. Yeah. So emotional health is a spiritual condition. It's, a, it's an issue of your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, And mental health is a biological or chemical condition. In other words, good emotional health is something you can achieve through practice and religion and therapy and habits. So you have a lot of control, almost 100% of control on on your emotional health if Mm -hmm. you're willing to put in the work and and take the time and the effort to to become an emotionally healthy person. Mental health oftentimes requires clinical assistance medical assistance, medication, and those things, Mm -hmm. which you have a lot less control over. So when we talk about emotional health, we're really talking about things we can control. Now, a good example is there's a type of depression that comes from emotional health, and you can work to change that. And there's a type of depression that comes from uh, mental health, and you need to seek 
medical professional, and professional help. help for something like that. So uh, there's there's going to be some overlap of some concepts, yeah. but they're really two different things. Uh-huh. And they might play with each other. Mental health is going to affect emotional health, and emotional health can affect mental health. But for the purpose of this discussion, we're going to keep yeah. those in separate fields. Because we're, we're definitely not... Uh, clinical psychologists. We are not licensed clinical psychologists <laughs> so, who cannot offer you any sort of advice. So if you uh, if you do something that we, we, we say in this podcast and you end up, I don't know, not better, <laughs> don't blame us, I guess. Don't, don't take our advice. Don't, don't do it. Just listen to us. Use it as food for thought, maybe. Because I, I, I think... Ultimately, everyone's like emotional health journey is pretty specific to who they are. Yeah. Um, and I think we, we can talk about this a little bit later, but I think a church typically has a there's a certain stigma around these kinds of things. I think, or they can be, um, and people don't like a lot of people. I think that need to get mental health or like you know they're not mentally healthy, and they need to go to that professional help. It's like why you can just deal with this on your own yeah you know if you yeah. just if you just pray harder or something yeah. like that but like that's you know obviously we're not gonna be talking about um all those issues but more so our personal journeys um yeah. into building our own yeah. emotional uh, psyche yeah and i think you hit on something that's really important for us to understand emotional health is not just me yeah it has to do with my family of origin like what was my home life like when i was growing up what values were i given what um what expectations were I held to? All of those things sort of in our formative years shape how we understand and process our emotions and the world around us. I think a really good way of thinking about emotions is my reaction to the external environment around me. Yeah. Um, so I kind of stumbled into this idea of emotional health when I was in my late 20s. Um, I, I listened to a podcast, actually, with an interview of a guy I'd never heard. His name was Pete Scazzaro. And they were talking about this book he'd written called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And I thought, that is just the dumbest title, right? Yeah. Like, what is this title? And, and, and he kept talking and like, he was like, you know, when I, was, when I was in my 30s, I was really dealing with anger and frustration and discontentment. And I was like, oh, that's kind of me. Yeah. And he was like, you know, and I, I didn't know what it was coming from. And it was really messing with the relationships in my life. And it was really making it hard. And, and he just sort of walked through that, and I was like, I can relate to so much of this. And then mm-hmm. they plugged his book at the end, so the very next thing I did was look it up on uh, Amazon and order it. Good old Amazon. Yep, and I, actually the first time through it, I listened to it on audio, mm-hmm. um, and it totally just opened so many uh, doors into like, wow, okay, now I understand yeah. what's happening. I understand why this is, this is this way in my life, and I can fix that, and I can work on that. Uh, it was it was a real game changer for me. I realized that a lot of the issues of my issues were based on uh, the way I processed or didn't process the external world. Right? I was frustrated, discontented, and angry most of the time, but with no clear reason why. Yeah. And what I learned was that that these feelings were the result of the way I understood emotions. You see, again, going back to my my upbringing, my grandfather tough guy yeah never saw him express emotion saw him express anger a lot you you knew when he was angry but you didn't really know you just sort of knew he loved you but he never talked about it he wasn't an emotionally expressive guy yeah now my immediate family we were an expressive family we uh, my parents were always hugging us mm-hmm. you never any conversation you have with my parents always ends with i love you 
so it's a very, um, it's more emotionally free and expressive. But I think just in the course of my life, I kind of picked up this idea that like emotions are, aren't, they're not bad, but they aren't good. They're not helpful. Like what's, what's the point in getting excited about something if I could get let down yeah. and that's going to make me sad. But if I just shut out the emotions of excitement or anticipation, I won't be sad. I won't be happy, but I won't be sad, but yeah. I'll just be right here in the middle. Yeah, you'll, just, you'll just be okay. I'll just be okay. Yeah. Exactly. I'll just be okay. And so my attitude towards my feelings and my emotions was feelings aren't fact. And if they aren't fact, why even deal with them? Facts don't care about your feelings. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Facts don't care about my feelings. The world doesn't care about my feelings. So I shouldn't care about my feelings. I really worked hard not to feel things. And I don't, I don't think I'm alone in that. No. I, I think that is our story. Like all of us deal with emotional health. Some of us better than others. Absolutely. But it's been my experience that most people aren't as healthy as they think they are. And I think we, we can all probably, even if there's, we, we can be extremely healthy, but I think this is one of the things you can always just get better at. Because I mean, I think despite, you, you could, I don't know, life throws things at you sometimes that yeah. you may just not be ready for. You exactly. Know? Like you can always... Well, get better. And I think a good a good picture of this is if you think of if you think of like uh, someone that does CrossFit. Like, uh, you ever watch the CrossFit games? No. Okay, it's on Netflix. You got to look them up. I, I feel like I, I can imagine what it is though. Without <laughs> it's it's like all these really intense elite CrossFit athletes, <laughs> yeah, doing CrossFit exercises, and their bodies look a particular way. Yeah. They don't. A lot of them aren't overly muscular. They aren't. They they would. They look like they're in good shape, obviously, but they don't have this like bodybuilder physique. This like glamour muscle kind of thing going on. Yeah. And I think that can happen. Like a lot of us can be really good at the bodybuilding aspect of our emotional health. Like we can look good mm. from the outside. We can yeah. have the bulging biceps and the chiseled chest, but when it comes to actually performing in an athletic competition, that's not the most useful way of developing your body. Yeah. But a CrossFit athlete who doesn't necessarily look like from a distance like, man, that that guy or girl is in top peak physical shape. Yeah. They don't look like that, but their bodies perform so much better mm-hmm. because they focused on core things. Yeah. They focused on um, functional fitness over um, glamour, glamour fitness yeah. and I think sometimes that's what we do in our own lives is we kind of get this glamour emotional health or this glamour spiritual health yeah. where we're doing the things that visibly look like we're where we should be which is so um, exaggerated and made so much worse by I think social media just like Instagram Twitter Facebook all these things that we like it's just obviously like everyone knows how easy it is. I, th- I don't think anyone's like, oh my gosh, social media isn't completely real. Uh, but I, I mean, I think it's just something we gotta you know take good care of. Is like because um, while we don't show, I think the bad things of ourselves, we often like it's easy just to scroll and be like, dang, this person headless is posting all this stuff. Yeah. And they're doing so good. Yeah. But they're they're obviously not posting all the bad things either. Exactly. So uh, you know, it's just. We, yeah, we need to avoid the the need to to just want to show off how good we're doing and to actually take care of ourselves. Yeah, yeah, I think I think and I think that speaks to something else that we do too is we think it, it's this sort of vicious cycle of wow, okay, so I saw Clayton post uh, and you didn't do this, but just using his name. Yeah, I saw Clayton post on Instagram, 
this picture of like his coffee cup and his Bible and his journal. And he does that like five mornings a week on Instagram. He's so godly. He's, yeah, exactly. He's so spiritual. He must be doing better than I am. So then when I'm around Clayton, I don't want to feel inferior. Yeah. So I'll beef up something mm. like that. I'll be like, yeah, I've been reading the Bible every day too, or I, I can fake it till I make it. And I never really address something. Yeah. I never really address an issue because I'm in this cycle with you. But really all you're doing is like taking pictures and you're not really spending time yeah, in what? scripture. And I, so here we are in this game of competing with who looks more spiritual and neither one of us uh-huh. are healthy. I just, I read the, I just read this book about, um, it was called Recapturing the Wonder by Mike Cosper, I think. Um, and okay i'm just gonna say this because i i've I've read so many things in like the past month i i I can't remember if for sure if it's from this but he talks about how he he watched this guy walk into a coffee shop and he had like this really thick volume of a book um and he said he watched him for like five six minutes get his coffee and like try to frame the book and like the he he basically took a long time to take this picture post on instagram and like he leafed through the book for a couple minutes and left like he didn't really read it. And then so he, he said he ended up going on um, and, and f- just finding the location tag. And it was like systematic theology. And it was like, oh, so you you wanted to just like flex your reading this like really beefy uh, the- theology book. And then you weren't actually doing it. So it's like we, we just have to keep in mind that it's just so easy. Um, I don't know, Instagram. I, I really like Instagram, but uh, we just have to keep in mind that it's not it's not 100 authentic all the time yeah I, th- I think we should try personally for ourselves to be authentic but it's just like you can't i can't force everyone else to be like come on guys let's yeah. uh let's bring in the real here right <laughs> and and at the same time we we talk about that and we say we want it to be authentic and this is true for our face-to-face one-on-one interactions we say we want authentic relationships but do i really want to sit and listen to you talk about how bad your day was and how much you didn't like this or didn't like that. Because yeah. it's, you know, on the inside, I'm like, geez, Clayton, just stop talking, right? So we we say we want to be authentic. Yeah. But then do we really want to put in the work to have those authentic relationships? Yeah. Because relationships, they do take work, right? Yeah. I mean, you think, okay, so a little bit of a story time for me. Um, but so something that, to, that would lead to whole authentic relationships is vulnerability which I think is uh, something that's been like a learning process for me over the past couple of years. And I think is, especially with guys, I think that's, that's typically like we, we find it harder. And this is a generalization, so not all guys like this, not all girls are extremely vulnerable. But, you know, I think typically a lot of guys struggle with what you were saying, like we, we don't process emotions well. And so as a result, when people ask us how our days were, we're just like, it's pretty good because you, you didn't think about the things that sucked during your day. Or you didn't think about the things that like just made you upset. Um, so, and I, and I think I had this like intense. I don't. I don't really remember much before college. I don't know. I have a terrible memory. <laughs> like <laughs> journal. You should journal. I, yeah. Well, yeah. That's, that's another another habit, but uh, that I should be getting better at. But and I, and I think back to my freshman year. So I'm basically at like uh, my sixth semester of college. So I'm a second semester junior, um, and. I think back to my freshman year, there were so many instances where I, I remember I would just be like, um, I would get go somewhere alone and just like get out of my room and just like, I would have these like intense emotional reactions and I had no idea why. It was just like, I was like, I'd be sitting in my car just like 
like crying and I just like wasn't sure I was like why why is this happening why do I feel this way and I think it took me up until that summer after my uh, my, my, my freshman year, I went um, part of a campus organization called Crew uh, at EKU, and they do these things called summer missions. And I went to this summer mission to Charleston, South Carolina for two months. And it was just like all these university students from around the country came, and we spent two months just like living and learning uh, about the gospel and about um, the area and just how to grow and to, to be, you know, Christians who are missional. Um, and I remember there was this talk they gave there about being vulnerable, and it was like this... Uh, if you pictured like the y-axis was authority and the x-axis was vulnerability and like that's that's kind of the ways we treat it is like um, you know if we're all vulnerability and no authority we we just open ourselves up to get hurt all the time but if we're all authority and no vulnerability then we kind of become that like that pent up just kind of like uh, almost you know abusive It, it can lead to that just like not letting anyone in just like feeling like you have to be that hero but like so it's, it's that cross-section between knowing you, you have to be strong in who you are, but also open to people, but a select few people. Like, uh, I'm not, you know, going around telling everyone my story um, because there are some people out there who want to hurt me or would want use it to hurt me. Um, so I think that, I don't, I don't remember exactly where we came from, but I think, you know, that vulnerable, yeah, relationships, right? Yeah. Um, so when we're thinking about, like, the, the people we want in our lives, when we think about um, who are the friends I want, who are people I just wanted to be acquaintances and like who's who's some some people or a person who I'd want to like date and marry which you're married already so good for you but I am single so these that's something I still have to worry about and I'm sure that's still something that you're working on with your wife Hannah right now um and is we, we have to maintain this balance between that authority and vulnerability and and so this is this is another thing about um I think myself is I always grew up, and I think, you know, every boy kind of, like, looks up to his dad, and obviously my dad's an awesome person, and so I looked up to him, but what I didn't understand was that I'm very, uh, just kind of, like, one of those, like, black and white things about myself is, like, I'm extroverted, my dad's very introverted, which is fine, We're the, that's both okay things to be, but I remember for a long time, I thought I wanted to be introverted like my dad, just because I thought it was cool, and, like, he was just kind of, like, quiet and reserved <laughs> and, and mysterious yeah. you know and I was like that's awesome yeah. but like that wasn't me and it took me a long time to figure out that that wasn't me and I remember on the same trip um this Charleston trip I started talking to this guy and I think there was there's something about like and he was discipling me for that first month there's something about this guy who I knew I was safe with who was on staff with crew and I but wasn't really involved with my home life I, I just started like opening up about all these crazy things that I never realized, and he, I remember he looked at me one day and was like, "Clayton, you're, you're a vocal processor," and like it, it seems crazy to me now to have not, <laughs> not understood that, that then. Yeah. yeah. But but the I I didn't yeah. like I just didn't realize that it's like, I, I it takes me like I just have to I have to talk to people yeah to get things out yeah which I'm much better at now just like recognizing like oh Clayton you're frustrated like <laughs> just go talk to someone and like <laughs> it'll come out why. Yeah. Um, so, but, but it's crazy. It's like we just have to like interact with people and understand how we are with people. And I, yeah. I, I think that just to a certain extent that just takes trial and error, right? I mean, most people, if you're if you're out of high school and into college and beyond that, you you probably have some grasp of that. But if you've never like intentionally sat down, like thought about like how do I process emotion, 
then you're you're probably not doing it very well. Like mm-hmm. I, I think it, it, like it is something that takes yeah. effort, right? Yeah. Uh, authentic relationships, being vulnerable, all those things. Like it takes thought and effort to get and achieve those things. Um, so it, I mean, it, it's it's not something that, that that'll just happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's that process of developing emotional health, like understanding that the way you react to the the external world around you is to vocalize yeah. those things um, <clears throat> and work through it that way. See, my experience with my dad is the exact opposite of yours. <laughs> yeah. My dad is hardcore extrovert. Absolutely. Talk to anybody about anything at any time. And I am about as far in the other direction as you can be. I'm a hardcore introvert. So my dad is always talking. Yeah. And I am always sort of listening and, and kind of trying to figure out the moment and the right words to say and, and how to phrase it. And so a lot of my growing into adulthood was like looking at my dad, and that was kind of like the gold standard of how to be a man. Yeah. But I wasn't like that. And so kind of struggling with this guilt of yeah. like, how do I be this person that can just talk all the time to anybody? And, and I really had to work through the fact that I'm not my dad. And as much as I admire my dad and respect my dad, mm. I'm a different person, and we process the world and engage with the world differently. And so that really only happens, you really only begin to do that as you begin to develop that emotional health. Because, again, like you mentioned, you you were experiencing intense emotions, and you didn't know why. Mm -hmm. You didn't really know what to do with them. I was experiencing this sort of guilt and and shame because I wasn't living up to this standard I thought I was supposed to. And we had to... We have to process those. We have to put those into context. Yeah. And I think that's really the question then becomes, how do you become emotionally healthy? Like, what, what are the steps that I, that I need to continue to take or someone needs to begin to take to develop this emotional health where they can step back and, and look at the world and look at the relationships and see how the relationships are affecting them and they are excuse me, affecting the relationships. It's this, it's the emotional health is, is deeply rooted in every aspect of our lives. And so I think we really have three steps to work through when it comes to developing emotional health. And the first step is to accept your emotions, right? So as a Christian, I, I believe that God gave us Emotions. I believe God has emotions. We see this expressed in Scripture all the time. God has joy. God has sorrow. God has regret. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that in Jesus. Jesus experienced compassion and distress and joy and love. All of these things, I think, are deeply rooted in the character of God. And if we want to be all that we can be, all that we were made to be, we have to fully embrace our emotional life. So the first step is to accept you have emotions. And this is different for every, for everybody. Yeah. If you're like me and your goal was to not feel your emotions, then step one is going to seem like a mountain. But if you are a, a feeler, if you're someone who is all about emotions, I do that every day. Step one is already life. Like yeah. I, I accept that I have this, and I am. Yeah. Um, you know, we all know that person that runs the gamut of emotions every day. They yeah. go from happy to angry to sad to happy to elated. Which is which is kind of the other end of that, yeah. that emotional experience that I don't think either me or you have kind of 
yeah. touched just because I think I mean, you know, there's like, you know, like not processing emotions and then like having these weird cathartic emotional releases and you don't know why. And then there's like feeling everything all the time, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, whoa, <laughs> like, and I, like, I don't know these people in my life and it's just like, how, how, how do you, you hear? Yeah. Like, I don't get it. Like you, like everything, everything is something and like, yeah. Yeah. and I guess everything is something, but like, it doesn't have to be that much something, you know? But, yeah. I, I, like for those people, everything is tied to an emotion. Yeah. Every conversation they have uh-huh. is an emotion. Every Everywhere they go is an emotion. Everything yeah. they see or taste or feel, like all of their senses are connected to their emotions. And and I think that, um, I think that's that's those are the two pits yeah. on the side of the road. Two that, streams. The yeah. Two, yeah, the two streams is is everything is an emotion, and I have no emotions. Yeah. And we want to find that healthy path in between. Yeah. So I think it's really the first step, and that step, like let's just be honest, that step is not easy because. Uh, again, as someone who doesn't have emotions connected to everything, reining that in to mm-hmm. it, it, accept that you have emotions, but not allow your emotions to control you, yeah. is the goal of this first step. And that's a challenge for both people because if you are constantly shoving your emotions down, they might not be directly controlling you, but they are indirectly dictating what you do. Because yeah. if I'm feeling angry right now and I want to shove that anger down, my effort and energy is directed at shoving anger down. Um, and, and so that's step one is to accept that you have emotions, that God has emotions, God gave you your emotions, and if you want to fully be human, if you want to fully uh, be all that you can be, you have to f- completely embrace your emotional life. Yeah. Step two is, is the, is, is the next, step two is the next step. Step two is the, is like taking that up a level. Uh-huh. Um, we're elevating a little bit higher. Step two is l- learning to process emotions. Because it's true that emotions aren't fact, but if we don't process what we're feeling, we'll never truly embrace mm-hmm. truth, right? And, and the way I like to think about this is if you just keep sweeping the dirt under the rug, you never clean your house. Yeah. You're just relocating the dirt and you're putting it out of the... Somewhere else. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it's this process. Uh, speaking for what I can best speak to as someone who it tends to stuff emotions, it, that for me looks a lot like allowing my emotions to kind of run through me. Yeah. Right? Instead of trying to be like, I'm, I'm really frustrated right now or I'm really sad right now and I'm trying to push that aside I need to just sort of embrace that like I'm sad right now Mm -hmm. right or wrong good or bad I'm just sad right or wrong good or bad I'm angry and I have to process that Mm -hmm. but processing isn't letting something control you and I think that's the other side of the coin for our our feeler friends out Uh there is that they they don't really have a problem accepting their emotions but it's processing that emotion why does this experience make me feel this way Mm -hmm. why did this conversation leave me feeling happy leave me feeling sad leave me feeling angry leave me feeling depressed it's the process of understanding why we're feeling that particular emotion and kind of living in that for a little bit yeah so i I think there's there's some like okay so from just speaking from my own experience there's, there's some like habits that you can have um to really, really handle these, and I think I think the easiest, most obvious one is journaling. Like I think, 
like the few times, <laughs> the few and far between <laughs> times that I've journaling, uh, that I've journaled, and like for me, it's just like a discipline thing. Like mm -hmm. I, I suck at disciplining myself. So, uh, but I think in theory, and uh, you may have more experience, but journaling is like you can really um, write down what you're feeling. Like, and I remember I, I was talking to uh, an older guy uh, on campus one time, and he, he was talking about how like um, he, when he he was just really like. You know, I think he was more along the veins of like you and like just like not processing emotion at all. And it was like learning to like during your day when when something happens to you, it's just like just think to yourself like, oh, that this makes me upset, and it's okay that I feel upset, or like this interaction makes me happy or it brings me joy. And just understanding like instead of just being like things are happening, and I think journal can, journaling can kind of be this like really private way to channel that. And like also like an extension of that would be. Um, having a private conversation with somebody, like having a, a close person, maybe like an accountability partner or a mentor um, that you can really just like, you can talk to. Uh, and I think that's one way. And I think for me, like a, probably one that I do more often because it's just more important or it, it just has more importance in my life right now, I guess, would be um, to an extent listening to music, I think. Because I remember like most of, because um, I, I think going through high school, like, um, I, I came from, like, as a kid, I don't remember, remember me much as a kid, but I was, like, really anxious and nervous all the time. Like, and I, I remember it was just, it was not too long ago when I started talking to my mom about this, and I kind, kind of forgotten about that. But, like, and then moving into high school, I, I kind of, like, was able to grow past that. I don't know if, like, not in a healthy way, but, like, mm -hmm. I was able to function and, like, not be. But I think in doing that, and I, I kind of, like, turned off that tap to where I stopped worrying about it. And in a way, I just stopped processing those emotions. And I think later on, like towards the end of my high school career and into, into college, I remember like very vividly there was specific instances where I would like have this like in, intense emotional reaction from listening to music, um, whether it be worship music or just, you know, moving music in general. And I think so for, for me, that's a way to just kind of like get more in touch with those emotions in my life and be like, wow, that's like something that's moving in my life right now. Um, and I know for some people that's gonna be like, not make sense, um, but music has just been, um, become really, really important in my life in the past three or four years. I've realized how much I connect to it, uh, as a, like a, emotionally I, I connect to it and how it can kind of draw me out of that um, like dry area, I guess, of like just not like, like kind of like bring the dust out a little bit and to recognize, you can bring things to the surface, I guess. Um, so, and I, and I think so. Music and journaling are two things that just come immediately to my to the top of my head um, when I think about these ways to process. Um, yeah, and I think you're onto something with music. I I use music the same way. If I'm struggling to feel an emotion, yeah. I I know certain songs will help me process through that, and so I'll play those songs and kind of filter my experience through the song, and it, it opens doors. I think another thing that's on there is looking for patterns. Yeah. Like, what, what, if I feel angry, what, what are the things that seem to be always there when I'm feeling angry? If I feel sad, what are the, is it every time I have this kind of conversation? Is it whenever I, I dive into this subject? Is it whenever I'm around this person? Is there some sort of a trigger for that emotion? And if I can kind of, if I can locate that trigger, then maybe I can understand why I'm feeling that way. 
Maybe I feel angry every time I talk to someone because five years ago they said something about me and we never dealt with that. Yeah. You know, maybe that's the case. Maybe I feel uh, anxious and out of control whenever I do a certain thing because at some point in my life someone said, you know, you're not very good at that. And I just sort of carry that. And I think that if I can kind of find that trigger, then I can deal with that mm-hmm. issue. Maybe, yeah. And maybe that looks like, man, every time you're around, I get angry. And that's because... X number of years ago, you said this thing, and, and we really need to deal with that. Yeah. That wasn't right. That wasn't yeah, good. That wasn't hard. hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Emotional health is yeah. not easy. It's no. a hard thing. And that brings us to the third step, which we kind of began to talk into a little bit, is placing our emotions in the correct context. Yeah, you so it's, it's kind of what we, we've kind yeah. of been talking about. Yeah, and that's really what it is. Once you know why something makes you angry, happy, or sad, you submit those feelings to the truth of the situation. Mm-hmm. Is it is this the appropriate response? Should yeah. I be getting angry because you know so and so showed up? Well, no, I shouldn't be angry because so and so showed up. Something inside of me has needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Should I feel sad every time I do this thing? No, something in me should be. That we need to do something here. Yeah. We need to do some work on the inside. And so, just to recap, our three. Step. Step one is accept that you have emotions. Mm-hmm. Step two is to learn to process your emotions. And step three is to place your emotions in the correct context. And here's what it looks like when you live in emotional health. One, you understand yourself better. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that earlier, right? You, you're beginning to understand yourself better just by processing through those things. Mm-hmm. I understand myself better. Um, I've been on this journey for a while now, and so many times uh, in that journey and along that path, I've been able to step back and say, you know, man, I realize I get I get frustrated in this situation every time. Why is that? Yeah. And then I can pinpoint that thing and I can deal with it. And I have had to have conversations and say, hey, listen, something happened a long time ago. We need to talk about this. Yeah. And that's brought, brought a lot of freedom. It's brought a lot of health and life because when you understand yourself, then you can be a better version of yourself. Yeah. If I don't want to be an angry person and I know the things that make me angry, then I can deal with those things Mm -hmm. and be less angry. Yeah. I think that's important. When you understand yourself better, I think you understand others better. Yeah. Because now I begin to, to empathize a little better, begin to understand what people are going through a little better. And that, that just opens the door for, stronger, richer, truer, deeper relationships. Absolutely. Because I don't have to spend so much time being angry or sad or frustrated or happy or mad. Whatever it is, I, I know what's going to cause those things. I know how to deal with those things. Now I can be more vulnerable with you. Yeah. I can say, you know what, Clayton? Every time this happens, I find myself angry. And I, I can work on it this way. And maybe that's a bridge to a deeper relationship with you. Maybe that's a a door to a, a complete stranger that you this guy's struggling with anxiety or this guy's struggling with s- s- prolonged periods of just sadness. Yeah. Maybe I can speak into that now. And I think what happens then is we become the kind of person that people want to be around. Mm-hmm. Right? We all want to be around healthy people. Yeah. Right? Don't want to be toxic. Talk, toxic people. Get that bad energy out of here. Exactly. <laughs> but, but if you think about it, healthy people bring life to you. Yeah. Like healthy people pour into you. Healthy Absolutely. people encourage you. Healthy people lift you up. Healthy people help you get down the path. 
and that's so much better. But the toxic people in our lives, they suck everything out of us, and they leave us dry. And um, hands down, almost every toxic person you're going to meet is an emotionally unhealthy person. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're trying, and, and for whatever reason, that just that that sucks the life out of someone else. Yeah. But emotionally healthy people have this abundance of life in them mm-hmm. that can just sort of pour out and refresh, and encourage, and lift up. And and which to that I think is is an important like disclaimer there is like, it's okay to be unhealthy emotionally. It's not okay to stay there. Yeah. Kind of thing is like because obviously like. You shouldn't be just like I'm un- like I'm unhealthy. Yeah, that sucks. I'm so mad and upset. Like you know, that's like flying in the face of it. You yeah, know? it's just like I, I think I think it starts just being like recognizing and like we're all emotionally unhealthy to a certain extent. Like yeah. no one's a hundred percent just good. You know, and like um, you know, it's it's something to be constantly worked for and achieved. Um, you know, every every day we can wake up and you know strive to be a little bit more emotionally healthy. So and I, and I think it's like understanding is like. I might be that person. I probably am that person for a lot of people because I know I'm not <laughs> 100% emotionally healthy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and, and it's not just being like, well, that sucks. Oh, well, it's just like, you know, like anything, it's just like it, it takes work. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, you just have to start somewhere. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it is like anything else. It's, it's a process. It's a journey. It's not a quick thing. You didn't, you didn't become the person you are today last night you became the person you are today over x number of years of your life and you won't become the person you want to be tomorrow you'll become that person over the x number of years of your life yeah it took you 10 years to become someone it'll probably take you 10 years to unbecome someone yeah and and that's true we we do need to keep that in mind um but people on that path people on that path who are pursuing that path just become the kind of people you want to be around yeah and that makes the world a better place yeah let's just be honest like the more emotionally healthy people we have in the world the more the better it's going to be mm-hmm. the better our relationships are going to be the better our communities are going to be the better society is going to be um and and that just comes from people putting in the work taking the steps climbing the mountain doing the work to become a better version of who they are yeah that was a good conversation, Clayton. 